to our church this morning. It's a, a really frosty day this year, um, and it's lovely to be worshipping together on such a beautiful day, but we're also extremely thankful for our new heating system. We give a warm welcome today to the Reverend Ian Sutherland, who's obviously been with us before. Um, Ian has, has worked for over 20 years as a Church of Scotland minister. He's now working in Fife and among other things is coaching others in church leadership and he's the Scottish Network Coordinator for um, growing prayer communities which are called local houses of prayer. So we give you a warm welcome and um, thank you. We're delighted to have you leading us in worship today and we're looking forward to hearing what you've got to share with us today. Um, the Guild Coffee Morning was yesterday. Um, everybody had a lovely time. Frances asked me to pass on her thanks to all of those who worked so hard um, and, and all of these, those who came. They raised the magnificent sum of £416.29. Well done. Um, this evening, there is an evening service from 5pm with a meal, and that's in St. Mary's. All are welcome, and I think uh, quite a lot of our families are probably planning to come to that today. Um, next Sunday, the 28th, there is no service in the church. Instead, we've got Cafe Church in St. Mary's at 11.15. I know that um, the last Cafe Church that we had was, was a wonderful service that we had all together. That was led by the, the youth group and, and it, was, it was really a, a very special time. Everybody really enjoyed the, the generations getting together around a table and, and enjoying coffee as, as well as having our worship together. So I would encourage you to come along. There's communion there uh, next Sunday as well at Cafe Church. And can I just invite people to come for coffee or tea after the service down in St. Mary's. It would be lovely to, to share a time of fellowship down there after the service. Well, good morning. It's wonderful to be with you again. Um, it's been a long time and uh, a lot has happened. One or two things have happened since the last time we met. Uh, but it's wonderful to be back here again with you to share in worship. That's why we're here. It's good to, to gather and, and to sing together, to encourage one another and to hear what God would be saying to us today. So let's worship God. Let's sing to his praise uh, in the wonderful hymn, We'll Worship the King, All Glorious Above. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the, work, the Lord rejoice in his works. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him. Let us pray. Almighty God, our loving Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for the splendor of your creation around us. As we've been gathering here this morning, we've seen the blue sky, the bright sun, the crispness of the frost on the grass, the beauty of creation around us, the trees, the birds, the hills. 
and all these worship and praise you and give you thanks for they, like us, are fearfully and wonderfully made. And this is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We give you thanks and praise for your great faithfulness to us. That, Lord, you provided for our needs. You have provided for us in many and wonderful ways. And so we gather to give thanks and to give praise. It's good to be with your people, Lord. It's good to gather in your house to sing your praise. It's good to gather to hear what you would say to us this morning. In all your splendor and glory, you are indeed our redeemer, our defender, our king, and our friend. And as we draw near to you in all your holiness and beauty and splendor, we become more and more aware of our own shortcomings and failings, our own sin. Lord, we come and ask that you would forgive us for those things that we've said and done, things that we thought that we shouldn't have thought. We come asking that you'd forgive us for those things we should have done and have left undone, things that we should have said and have left unsaid, those thoughts that we shouldn't have had. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would forgive us. And we thank you for that promise in your word that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you this is possible because of you, Lord Jesus, all you've done for us in your perfect life, your death on the cross, rising on the third day, alive now forevermore. And right now you are interceding for us at the Father's right hand in heaven. We give you thanks and we give you glory. We give you praise. And as you wash us clean and forgive us, we ask that you'd fill us afresh, Holy Spirit, that we would be empowered to live the life that is modeled on Christ, to follow your example, Lord Jesus, empowered by you, Holy Spirit, to bring joy and glory to you, our Father God in heaven. Be with us and bless us in our time together, we pray. May we know that your presence, may we hear your voice. May you empower us that we would go from this place for this week to be your witnesses, ambassadors, wherever we are, in our homes, in our community, in our neighborhood, in our families, in our workplaces, that you'd receive glory and honor and praise. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And continue to pray as you taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning's reading is taken from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. So we're reading from the third chapter of Philippians, starting at verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, 
those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, it is good to praise you. It's good to give thanks. It's good to delight in you. So we ask, Lord, as we turn to your word, that you would speak to us, that we would hear your word of invitation your word of challenge to bless us and to help us to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. From our reading, we're going to look in particularly at verse 10, which is, I want to know Christ, which is the statement that Paul in this section says three times. We're in a time and a season in many households where um, things are being asked about to, so that people might know things. I don't know if your family's the same, but we're already starting to have people say, uh, what would you like for Christmas? Or what would you like to do at Christmas? Or what would you like for Christmas lunch? Mind you, maybe some of the folk are just asking what you're going to have for lunch today or for dinner today. What do you want in life, I do quite a lot of career coaching as well as leadership coaching. And that's the fundamental question that I ask quite a number of clients who aren't always very sure when I say, well, what do you want to do? It's quite hard when there's a free reign of choice. What do you want? 
What do you want? It would be really interesting if we had time to go around and ask everybody here, you know, in a sense, what, what would you want? What, what, how would you finish that sentence? I want, or what would I want to do? Well, for Paul, it's unequivocal, and he says it three times at least in this passage alone, is that he wants to know Jesus. He wants to know Jesus. He wants to know the power of his resurrection. He wants to know Jesus. And he sees the value in knowing Jesus as surpassing greatness. That he would know Jesus. Before we get to dig into a bit about what does that look like, it's helpful maybe just a bit of background of the, the letter to, to the Philippians, to Philippi, and therefore to us as the church. Paul is writing this letter um, to a church he knows very, very well. He's writing it to a church that he started, he planted. You read in the book of Acts. But he's writing it, interestingly enough, from Rome. I don't think I can get that from here. From Rome. He's writing from a prison cell which is incredible when you read the whole of the, the letter of Philippians because he tells, he talks about rejoicing. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. He, he's encouraging them to have the mind of Christ, which is about humility and submitting to the ways of God, the ways of the Father. He's writing from a prison cell, but he's got a heart and a passion for this church in Philippi. This is the church which um, he, had, when he and his uh, fellow disciples were planting churches on missionary journeys, were trying to go east and trying to go south, but couldn't travel anywhere. But that night, Paul had a vision from a, of a man of Macedonia saying, come over here and help. And that transition of the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus coming from Asia into Europe, the first European church in Philippi, where Paul went to the river to find where people might gather to pray and found Lydia. Lydia, the one who had, was a group of women meeting to pray, and from that group he planted and established the church in Philippi. Lydia was a seller of purple, and she had a home, and they went and stayed in the home. And in fact, um, some scholars say that to understand the importance or perhaps the scandal of that is that, it, that in some ways that, that Lydia could be seen as with sellers of purple being the, the most expensive cloth and made into the most exquisite and most expensive, expensive dresses, it's kind of the Gucci of its day. Can you imagine missionaries and the reputation they would get if they went to, to stay in a house with a bunch of supermodels who were there to, to, get to, to then show the wares of what's been made and to, to, um, to show it to people? It'd be quite scandalous. But one scholar thinks that there, after this, Timothy is not mentioned. And whether he stayed behind and married a supermodel is only conjecture. We don't know. But the, what we do know is that the church was planted in Philippi, and the church grew, and the church was successful. But here is Paul writing with affection again to the church, seems to suggest here in Philippians. He's writing again to them to encourage them and to point them to some things that are really important, to rejoice in the Lord always, and again, say rejoice. And that's not an understatement because Philippi today is a ruin, but at the time when he's writing, it was a famous Roman capital. 
with Roman soldiers and, and, a, and a major garrison, and this is the ruin of the, of the amphitheater there where they would have big performances and, and have public events. Now, World Heritage Center. Philippi was also known for two big battles, significant shifting battles um, on the plain around Philippi. But to you and I, it's known as this place of the church being established and grounded in Europe. It's, the, it's, a, it's known to us because it's the place that Paul writes to and says to them and to us, have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. To humble ourselves. To know his will. But also in this, we have this um, wonderful verse that speaks these verses that talk about everything being a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord, our Lord, your Lord, my Lord. Truth be known, there are four knowings. They're all linked and they're all the same thing. But, but Paul wants to draw them out so that they might understand, that we might understand this knowing. The first one is knowing the where. Where do you put your confidence? Where do you put your security? Where do you put your identity? Where do you put it? You see, some of the folks that Paul is writing against for coming in and trying to draw the early church away are saying, oh, no, 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 Jesus is not enough. You need to be circumcised to follow the Jewish tradition. You need to follow the law. You need to, you need to do all the rules and regulations that, that are the Jewish laws. You need to take those on board as well, even though you are Greeks, even though you're not Jews. You must follow the ways, these Judaizers. And Paul says that righteousness can't be achieved by our works. It cannot be achieved by keeping rules and laws. He says in Romans that if, if, we could, if we could be saved by obeying rules and laws, there was no reason or need for Christ to come and live and die and rise again. But we could not be righteous by the law. We could not be righteous by our own works and our own effort. We needed a savior. Max Lucado, one of my favorite authors, put it this way, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, he would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness and reconciliation with the Father, God sent us a savior, Jesus. And so instead of putting our confidence in things or in status or in those things that can rise and fall and perish, we're to know where to put our confidence is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And Paul says, you know, if, if it was to be in who we are and our, our heritage and our history and our background and, and, and our, our legalism, our religious background, then I, I, could, I could boast more than anyone. I was born a Jew. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was raised as a Pharisee. I was a perfect in regard to the law. I fulfilled all of it, even down to zeal against anything that was contesting against it, as in the church. He says, but I consider all that rubbish and loss compared to knowing Jesus, my righteousness. 
You know, time and time again in our world, people put, seem to put their investment and their energy into what seem like good things, but they are good things, but they're not to be the be-all and end-all of our hope and our expectation. Whether that be money and investments, because as much as we put money into money and investments, then this, this, the exchanges can go down as well as up. Possessions can be lost. And through this pandemic, I think people have had a realization of what is of real value. I'm quite sure that if I was to ask some people, and I know some people, what do they want? They want to be with their family this Christmas in other parts of the world because they couldn't travel before. And they would pay anything to be able to do it now that restrictions have been dropping away. Our expectations, our, our identity, our security has, to, has shifted through this pandemic. And it's ebbed and flowed through the pandemic. I was joking in Blackburn or, 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 or referring to the fact that I remember going from supermarket to supermarket and probably quite happy to pay well double or triple the odds to buy some toilet roll. Remember that? Maybe you're, maybe you're okay down here, I don't know. In this neck of the woods. And then it went to flour, and then it went to something else that was shortages of. We cannot put our trust in things and possessions. It's not in flesh, it's not in works, it's not in false teachers, it's not in titles, it's in Jesus that we put our trust. So it's knowing where to place our confidence, our security, our identity. Because it's knowing the where, it's knowing the worth of things. Knowing the worth of things. At one time in the lockdown, and granted a very short time, uh, I watched some daytime television. And uh, it struck me that the programs around buying and selling of antiques, there seemed to be numerous ones. But they all boiled down to this, as far as I could see. Is somebody going into a shop and recognizing the true worth of something in the shop and hoping that the owner didn't know that and buying it at that price, the low price, talk them down, to then take it to an auction sale where you hope that somebody else saw the real value of it and was willing to pay that or more to have that item. It's all about seeing the worth of a thing. And Paul points us squarely to the worth he puts on Jesus Christ. He could have said, ah, oh, but I was the, the best Jew I could ever be. I was a Pharisee. I was perfect regards to the law. I had high status in my society. I had high status amongst my people. But that day on Damascus Road when Jesus met me and I knew he was real, not just the, what, what people said to me about him, but I met him and I encountered him, I could not go back. Because everything else was as rubbish to me. Garbage is the word in the, the NIV, the new NIV translation, but the actual word is much, much stronger than that. No one has had the courage to put the actual word in. And don't worry, I'm not going to say what it is exactly, but it's the word scubula, scubala, sorry. 
And in the message, they, they describe it. He says, I regard everything as rubbish or garbage. Everything is dog dung compared to knowing Christ. He's making the point that nothing comes close. Nothing has the worth of knowing Jesus. For all that he has done, coming from the glory of heaven to take on frail flesh to be born. Now, you might think that we're not even in Advent yet. I'm talking about Christmas. But the Orthodox Church is already into Advent. They take the 40 days to Christmas. So does the Celtic Church take the 40 days to Christmas. And they're now in the season of meditating upon the coming of Christ, that the creator of the universe would take frail flesh and be born as a baby to live that perfect life, that he would die on the cross in your place and in my place to pay the price of sin in our lives, to die, rise again, and is now at the Father's right hand is just incredible. And with that offer and promise of life in all its fullness now and life eternal, what on earth could you put as a price and a worth on that? And yet, sadly, I have in the past put other things as more valuable than worshiping Jesus or talking with Jesus. Knowing the worth of things, that there's nothing outside of Christ, and it's not Christ plus something like these Judaizers were saying, it's Him and Him alone. He is the one that we are to worship. He is the one that we are to be close with. Knowing the worth of Jesus. Thirdly, knowing the way. It's interesting that when you look at your word analysis of uh, the term Christian, and we are Christians, we are little Christs, that's the, what Christian means. It was a derogatory term when it was first used in Antioch against the church, or oh, look at these little Christs. It's used three times in the New Testament, but six times we are described as people of the way. The way. Jesus in John 14 verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no plan B. It is through Jesus and through him alone. That we are people of the way. And what does that mean, people of the way? It means that it's about a lifestyle. It's about an everyday lifestyle and walking and getting to know Jesus better. And it's, and it's the way. Well, when, how do we know we get there? Well, we don't know. But we're on the way. We're learning as we go. We're learning as the people of God. We're learning more about Jesus. We're learning more to know Jesus. And we know more today than we did yesterday. At least that's the, that's the hope and the plan in our prayer is that we get to know Jesus. You know, I've been married to my wife, Heather, now for 27 years. And it's incredible to me that I'm still learning things about her life. Even though I've known her for more than half of her life. And she's learning things about me, things that I like, things that I did, things that had happened in my life, and things that I like, and things that I learned, the things that she likes. I've been walking with Jesus longer than that. And still learning more about Jesus. Learning about him, about his ways, about his thoughts, about how to walk as he walked, 
And I'm sure that's your experience too. But it's knowing the way, walking with him, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Because at the heart of this, in the throbbing heart of the letter to the Philippians, in the, the throbbing heart of the life of Paul, is the heart of the believer, which is this. It's about knowing Jesus, where to put our trust, the worth of him in our lives, and the ways of Jesus. As I said to, in the, the talk for the, was for the children, but for all of us, is that Jesus is often spoken of as a, as a wise teacher, as a good man, uh, as a prophet, as um, many things like that. But he is at the heart of it all our Savior, and he is at the heart of it all to be our Lord, that we bow our knee, as he says, as Paul writes in Philippians 2 that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. It's about knowing him, and I mean really knowing him. You know, I could um, have a book. I could have got a book when I married Heather. I could have got, at the, on the wedding day, I could have been handed a book about the book of Heather and all the different chapters, you know, a childhood, um, girls' brigade, um, youth fellowship, sporting abilities and I could have sat I could have gone off and sat down and read all the book and studied the chapters and read all about it but I didn't need the book the book would have been really handy actually <laughs> but I got to know her and now I could probably start to write the book could probably start to put things together and be able to write some chapters and, and catch her story and catch her life and catch good things about her life. You know, spent three years walking around with Jesus and they got to know him and they got to see what he did and they got to see how he did it and they got to see why he did it and they wrote them down in the scriptures, the gospels. And we can read them, and we should read them, and we should read the Gospels, and we should read the Scriptures, and we should know the Word of God, and we should read them, but we must watch out that we don't just know about God and about Jesus without actually getting to know Him and actually speaking with Him and hearing from Him and sitting quietly with Him and acknowledging His presence. You know, if I go into a restaurant and I'm hungry, I can take the menu and I can open the menu and see all the wonderful things that are available and I'm hungry and I know this all looks really good. I'm salivating, oh, it's really wonderful. I could then close the menu and walk out of the restaurant. What's the point of that? I'm not at the meal. I've not had what this promised. And this promise is that if we speak with him, we will hear from him. And if we turn aside, he will speak. It's like studying um, a group of students studying how good an apple tastes and they could read all the academic books about how trees grow and apples are formed and they could take apples, they could dissect them and open them up and look at all the things that are inside them, the seeds and the, the, sh the outer skin and the flesh of the apple and smell, oh it's so sweet but actually the time that you know what an apple tastes like is when you take a bite and you taste it. So we need to read the scriptures, but the scriptures are to bring us to know the person. And Paul says, and countless generations of saints have said, 
to know him is the best there ever thing there ever is. It's not Jesus plus anything, it's just Jesus. The savior of our souls, the lover of our souls, the lover of each of us, the one who made us and formed us and came to go through the, all that he went through so that we would have a relationship with him. Not just the tag a relationship, but an actual relationship. I did consider putting up on the picture a, 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 a joke that somebody posted once about Jesus um, talking with somebody in the, in the 21st century saying, no, I don't mean just tag me as a friend in Facebook. I mean, actually be my friend. Talk with me. Walk with me. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm for you. And that's Paul's heart is that he wants to know him more. That's his want. That's his hunger. That's his thirst. That's his passion. And here's the interesting thing, that in pursuing him and knowing him and pursuing him above all things, everything else he gives us, every other good thing, takes added life and wonder and splendor and beauty through him. You know, I celebrated many a good Christmas when I was a child. Just take that as an example. Many a good Christmas. And they were wonderful. My parents were wonderful with the gifts they gave and the, and the love they showed. But they're nothing compared to now, to Christmas, celebrating Jesus. Now I know him. I still get gifts, but they're even more special now. And the giving of gifts is even more amazing. Knowing Jesus. That's what's at the heart of Paul's desire for himself, but he's for the church in Philippi and for you and me, that we would know him, not just about him, but know him and speak with him. I count all things to be loss, refuge, garbage, dog dung, compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's as simple as that. All I've said and all that Paul says in Philippians 3, know Jesus. And if you know him, wonderful. Get on your own, be with him today and speak with him. And when you're out for a walk, have a word with him. If you're sitting, switch the TV off or, or the radio off and listen and just spend time with him. And if you don't know him, then ask him to show you and to introduce himself to you. To know him and to to speak with him and to share life with him is worth it all. You know, one of the best songs, I was going to say a, a, a new song, but it's about, I think it's, I checked up, it's about 25 years old now, I think, is by Graham Kendrick, who took this very passage and turned it into a worship song, All I Once Held Dear, Built My Life Upon, Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. We're going to see it on the screen and sing along to this rendition. Just take Spelly a few moments in the silence just to hear those words of invitation of Jesus again to come to him.
Lord Jesus, thank you that we can know you, that we can read your word and know about you, but we can actually come and talk with you and hear from you and know you and learn your ways, valuing who you are and what you've done for us and what you do in our lives. And in you, we place our trust afresh. We ask, Lord, that you would stir us in this, as we approach this Advent season to wait upon you and to be with you. We thank you for every good and perfect gift which comes from you that we will enjoy and enjoy in this season with family and friends and neighbors. But they are also more the richer in knowing you and finding our identity in you and serving you. Lord our God, we ask that you would be with us and strengthen us, that we would be your, your people as we go into this week, that we would be your ambassadors, your representatives, that we would rejoice in you always. As Paul would say, and again I say rejoice, that we'd have your mind the mind of Christ, more and more in our daily walk, that we would be people of the way as we follow your way of life, Lord. And in that mindset, Lord, we do think of those who are troubled in this time and season, known to us, neighbors, family, friends, people in our community who are troubled, whether in body or in mind. We pray for those who are unwell, that, that you bring your healing touch we pray for those who are struggling with their finances, those who have pressures and stresses and strains and life and relationships and family, that you would come, Lord, and bless them. And if, Lord, there is something that we are to do more than to pray and to bless them, then, Lord, show us what that is. But we pray for them now. We pray for a broken and hurting world from everything from our environment to wars and rumors of wars to refugees and people without nationhood. Particularly in the Northern Hemisphere as winter begins to bite. We pray, Father, for the leaders of our nations that you'd give them wisdom and then give them courage to do that which is right according to your kingdom principles. We pray, Father, for those who serve in our communities and serve in communities across the world, those doctors, nurses, frontline workers, those who rush to people's aid when aid is required, and all the different services across the world. And Father, we remember, as we've been thinking of Paul in prison in Rome, we think of our brothers and sisters across the world today who maybe meeting in secret or maybe worshipping you from a prison cell. Lord, that you would be with them and bless them and give them boldness and courage and strength in the midst of such hardship. That, Lord, you would encourage them and that they would find that joy that Paul did in knowing you and knowing your presence and knowing the peace that you alone can give. Draw near, Heavenly Father. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be in each situation that's in our mind's eye as we've come today. 
those situations that we know that we will face this week, may we know that you are with us in the midst of them and that we would know your strength, your wisdom, your leading and your guiding as we step out in faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.